Good morning, Desert Hills family and friends. Welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're able to be with us here on our Open House Sunday service. Open House Sunday is a, a day that we just simply make an extra effort to connect with our community and let our community know that we are open for everyone to come. We always have a special dinner after the service and some refreshments after the morning service, the first service, and it's always a special time for us. And I made a mistake yesterday. I decided to do leg day yesterday at the gym, and it was an hour and a half of torture and terror. And so right now, I'm, I'm feeling it right now, and, and uh, there, there are about four things that are my, on my top four hate list. Green Bay Packers, I hate them. All right. Uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, I also hate them. Uh, communism, everywhere it goes, people die, and leg day. Leg day makes that list, all right? But uh, we're here today, and we're going to find ourselves in Daniel chapter 3 this morning, Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to continue in our series this morning. We have this week and one more week in this series, Forged in the Fire, and next week, if you want to get a jump on what we're going to talk about, uh, find yourself in the book of Jonah, just a few chapters. You can read the story of Jonah right there in the middle of the Bible. We're going to look at that next week, and you won't want to miss that. Next week is the fire of rebellion. I'm sure none of us have ever been rebels, right? None of us have ever been rebels. Today, we're going to look at the fire of faith in Daniel chapter 3. Now, when Johnny Erickson Tata was 17, she damaged her spinal cord in a diving accident while swimming in the Chesapeake Bay. The accident left her paralyzed from her shoulders down. After breaking her neck in that accident, Johnny lay in a hospital bed, day after day, knowing she was facing a lifetime of severe hardship and disability. Johnny also knew she was going to be a burden on others who would take care of her. Each day she lay there, Johnny contemplated the ultimate questions of life. Does God exist? If God does exist, does he care? What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of my life? Johnny concluded that if there was no God, the most logical thing to do for her was to kill herself. Not only would suicide end her pain and misery, but it would relieve the people she loved of the tremendous burden her disability had put on them. However, Johnny says that even in the depths of her despair, she could not shake the belief that her life and the life of every human being has significant meaning and purpose. With that hope in mind, Jan Johnny began the long process of rehabilitation. During her two-year stay at the hospital, imagine two whole years in a hospital, Johnny learned to paint by holding a paintbrush in her mouth. She learned how to get her arms to move by utilizing the muscles in her back, and she learned to live as independently as possible from her wheelchair. Since her accident in 1967, Johnny has achieved more than most could ever imagine. She has become an accomplished artist, painting by only using her mouth. She has written several award-winning books, produced music CDs. In 1979, she founded Johnny and Friends, uh, where it's a worldwide ministry through which wheelchairs and crutches and canes and walkers are collected, repaired, and distributed to needy people throughout the world. Johnny decided she would trust God as she endured the fires that came into her life. How do we respond when the fires test our faith? How do we respond to the fires of life? Now, Daniel 3 teaches us 
that God is in ultimate control. He is sovereign. He either causes or allows everything that happens in our life. And we must have faith during these difficult times because faith is essential when facing the trials of life. As chapter 3 begins, we find Nebuchadnezzar, the ancient ruler of the empire of Babylon, installing and dedicating a 90-foot high, 9-foot wide statue of himself. Now, by making this statue, he most likely imagined this would unify his kingdom because everyone that was in the empire of Babylon was from somewhere else. In fact, they would take people from Syria and they would put people from another conquered realm and put them in Syria and take the Syrians and take them to that other conquered realm. That's how they, they, they worked in those days. And so he was hoping this statue would unify his kingdom. He was hoping not only that, that it would consolidate his authority and power. And he was hoping that this statue would bring complete subservience and worship to him and Babylon. Now in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel had prophesied and interpreted a dream in which Nebuchadnezzar had. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar went a little crazy in Daniel chapter 2. He was uh, sleeping and he woke up in a terror, a night terror. And as he woke up, he wanted somebody to interpret a dream. But the problem was he couldn't remember the dream. Imagine it, asking somebody to interpret a dream you couldn't give any details about. And so he called for all the wise men, and he called for all the astrologers, and he called for all the smart people in his realm to come and interpret his dream, and nobody could do it. Finally, Daniel stepped up and not only told him the dream, but he also told him the interpretation of that dream. And so here we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel says, the image you saw, King Daniel 2.31, the great image whose brightness was excellent and was terrible, the image his head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Each of these elements representing an ancient empire. The, the head of gold, Babylon, the arms of silver, the media Persian empire, the thighs of brass representing Greece, the legs of iron representing the Roman empire, east and west, and then his feet part of iron and clay representing the revived Roman empire. And then it says there's another empire uh, established here in verse 32. Then you saw a stone cut out with hands, without hands, representing none other than Jesus Christ. And so Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, we see, uh, uh, were at the top, the head of gold. And every other empire was less, less worthy, less significant than Babylon. In fact, gold is more precious than silver, and silver is more precious than uh, brass, and brass is more precious than iron, and iron is more precious than iron and clay. And then Daniel went on to tell Nebuchadnezzar that God was the one that had given him his kingdom, God was the one that had given him his power, and God was the one that had given him his strength. In fact, Daniel 2.37 says, uh, God has given you a kingdom, power, and strength. So all this literally went to Nebuchadnezzar's head. And this is why we see him erecting a 90-foot statue overlaid with gold worth millions of dollars a few miles north of the capital city of the Babylonian Empire in a place called Dura. Nebuchadnezzar called for the most important officials at the time in his kingdom to be a part of this dedica dedication. He called for the captains and the judges and the governors and the treasurers, everybody that was important. And according to verse 3, these dignitaries and rulers came with most everybody that was nearby in the kingdom. Now, they had an orchestra of every instrument ready to play. A herald had decreed that at the time the music would begin, 
every one of those dignitaries were to bow down and worship the image or be cast into a burning, fiery furnace which was set up for anyone that would not bow. So here's the scene. Throngs of people from every echelon of society are gathered to, to worship this nine-story statue of Nebuchadnezzar in front of them. Nebuchadnezzar's a, a temporary throne is here on the right side, the statue in front, and on the left side there is a burning, fiery furnace as a reminder of the severity of Nebuchadnezzar's command. There is a deafening silence as all await for the music to play. The orchestra starts, and as it does, a sea wave of people descend down to their knees, all except for three. All except for three lone rangers in the middle of the crowd from a Hebrew background by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, unwilling to bend the knee. Now, they were noticed. In fact, there were some people in the kingdom that did not like that the Hebrews here were promoted to positions of power. And they brought it to Nebuchadnezzar's attention. In fact, we see that in Daniel chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, Thou, O king, hast made a decree that at the time the music plays, everybody's to fall down, and whoso falls not down, verse 11, to worship is going to be cast in the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom we have set over the affairs of the province, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have not bowed, verse 12. Nebuchadnezzar hears about their insolence and asks for them to be brought before them, before him, and then he questions them. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you won't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Then Nebuchadnezzar tries to give Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego another chance. Maybe they didn't quite understand his instructions. Maybe they were having a bad day and wanted to be a little bit rebellious. Maybe they didn't understand the severity of his command. Maybe they thought he was just kidding. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar in verse 15. Now when the music plays, when you fall down and worship the image that I have made, understand this, if you don't, the same hour you're going to be cast into the burning, fiery furnace, and who is your God that's going to be able to deliver you out of my hands? And so here in our text, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego literally go through a fiery trial of faith. So what is faith? What is faith? Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what does faith mean to you? Now this morning we see faith is simply trust in God. And notice the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. It says in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful or we are not afraid to answer you in this matter. In other words, they had made a decision long before this confrontation how they would respond to God and his truth. And they were faithful to trust God and they were faithful to keep their commitment. They knew God's first and second commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, which says, you're not to make any other God before, or put any other God before him, nor worship anything that resembles that God's image. They were standing before the most powerful king of their time with the heat of the burning fiery furnace causing them to sweat all over their body and that sweat puddling up on their brow. It would have been easy for them to say, we'll bow this once. We'll practice some situation ethics. But they had determined that they would believe God in everything, including the outcome of this confrontation. 
Now, they could have been culturally relevant to an extreme and said, the Babylonians will never understand our culture, and we don't want to offend their culture and, and ruin an opportunity to be a witness. Let us bow now so they'll listen later. They could have bowed with the intent of seeking God's forgiveness later. After all, they knew God as a forgiving God, as a loving God, as a merciful God. They could have bowed on the outside, but stood on the inside. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have come up with all kinds of excuses to not have faith and to trust and follow God. They could have faltered while their faith was literally under fire, but they did not. How would you respond? Think about it. How would we respond? Now, we often fail to trust God when we go through the fires of faith. When facing loss or difficulty or overwhelmed with worry, our tendency isn't to be faith-filled, trusting scriptures like Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, where it says, be careful for nothing or don't worry about anything. But instead of worrying about those things, giving everything to God in prayer with supplication and thanksgiving and making your requests be made known unto God, instead of worrying, give everything to God. And then the Bible says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, the peace of God, which literally blows your mind, will keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do we respond to the fires of faith? When struggling with temptation, instead of trusting God and his truth, we give in and we yield to the temptation instead of understanding that our old man is crucified with him. Our previous self was hung on the cross and nailed to the cross with Jesus, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Why? Because he that is dead is freed from sin. We no longer have to be a slave to it. Yes, amen. <laughs> when faced with enormous decisions, instead of going to God and seeking his mind, we fret. We get frustrated at decisions we never consulted God in instead of trusting God's truth. Found in James chapter 1 where it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God that giveth to all men liberally or doesn't withhold back, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You need to understand this. I need to understand this. God wants us to have the wisdom that we need to make the right decisions more than we want to have it. When struggling in our marriages on the crazy cycle, without love, she responds without respect. He responds without love. She responds without respect. Ever been there? <laughs> Instead of trusting God's truth and trusting that God, fellas, can change our wives as we unconditionally love them, you say, Pastor, you don't know my wife. Sir, I don't know you. You don't know me. The Bible doesn't give us these commands or instructions if they're convenient. The Bible just says, this is what works. Instead of obeying scriptures like it says in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We do things our own way, and we make a mess of it. Instead of showing unconditional respect, ladies, knowing that God can change your husband's, 
You try to control the situation and do things your own way instead of following God's instructions where it says, see that the wife reverence or show respect to the husband. You see, biblical faith always demonstrates itself in trust. In trust. Now, the book of Hebrews is known as the, the hall of faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 uh, gives us the account of the patriarch by the name of Abraham. God called Abraham to leave his family, but God didn't tell Abraham necessarily where he was going. And Abraham still trusted and followed God's instructions. Here's what the Bible tells us. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. In other words, God told Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave everything you've ever known. And I want you to pack it all and get it together and start heading south or north. And Abraham said, okay. So I can imagine Abraham going to Sarah, his wife, and saying, okay, Sarah, we're leaving. Where are we, go where are we going? I don't know. How are we going to get there? Uh, walk, horseback, a donkey, a camel. Well, how long are we going to stay? Forever. Well, 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 how's it all going to work out? God's going to take care of us. How would your wives respond? <laughs> but that's literally what Abraham did. You see, faith demonstrates itself by trusting God even when facing difficult things. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, tells his disciples to forgive someone even if someone has sinned against them seven times in one day. Now, we all have the propensity when somebody wrongs us once to write them off forever. But Jesus said, if somebody offends you seven times in one day, he tells his disciples to forgive them every time. Here's what it says in Luke 17, 4. And if someone trespasses against you and seven times in a day, seven times turn again and say, you are forgiven. The response of the disciples is entertaining. They say, uh, the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> they realize it took a great amount of faith to trust God when God is asking them to do difficult things. And it takes a great amount of faith for us to do the same. You see, that's why the Bible tells us not to be hearers only of the word, but doers also. You see, I don't spend time preparing messages every week. I don't spend time, uh, we don't spend time preparing music for services. We don't spend time trying to assimilate people into our church. We don't spend time in all the follow-up and all the preparation for children's ministries and hospitality teams. We don't do that so people can come in, feel good, and be unmoved. We do that because we want the Word of God to be planted in people's hearts and to bring forth some plants and some growth and some fruit. We do that so that people won't just be touched here, but they'll be touched here and here. And God desires that for each and every one of us. But notice their security, the security of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. 
Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God was fully capable, capable of delivering them from the furnace. They weren't sure that that's what God was going to do, but they knew that God was capable. But they absolutely knew that God was going to deliver them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Because I believe they knew God, if they were taken out of this world, they were going to be taken to heaven. In other words, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Ha! Nebuchadnezzar, you can't scare me with heaven. You can't scare me with heaven. Hey, he's able to deliver us out of your hand, Nebuchadnezzar. But if he doesn't deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace, he's going to deliver us out of your hand. Now, I've had people say to me, uh, uh, they've said, you know, uh, uh, what does God expect us to do after we die? You know, we can't make decisions after we die. What happens if somebody dies and they never place their faith in Jesus Christ? And I tell them, you know, God doesn't destine anybody for hell in the sense that he's claimed some here and claimed some here. He's made Jesus Christ available to all. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the fact of the matter is God wants to deliver people from the fiery furnace of hell. But people will say to me, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? And what we need to be reminded of is a loving God has done everything so that none of us will go to hell. He gave us his only begotten son to live a perfect life, to die a death he didn't deserve on a cruel, rugged cross, and he died in your place and my place for your sins and for mine. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they would be delivered from Nebuchadnezzar because they knew they were going to be delivered from this world. They had hope, and so can we. So can we. In fact, Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then here Peter describes this hope to an inheritance, an inheritance we know as heaven, uh, which is incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, never gets old and is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Salvation isn't anything that we manufacture. Salvation isn't anything that we keep. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible makes that clear in Acts chapter 4 and verse uh, 12. It says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said it himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. We need to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus by faith. And when we do, we need to understand we are delivered from the fiery furnace of hell. You see, faith is trusting in God practically, and we see faith is trusting in God to deliver us eternally. And then lastly, we see also faith is trusting in God's sovereign will. Notice the text. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, if that's not what God decides to do. I want you to understand, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to bow. We are not going to bow. 
You see, biblical faith has a confidence to believe that God can do anything at any time in any way, but it also has the insight and submissiveness to say, even if God does not, I will continue to trust him. That's what we find in this story in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Job was a character in the Bible who we talked about a couple of weeks ago who lost all seven of his sons, all three of his daughters, most of his earthly possessions, and his health and his well-being. But Job could honestly say, Job 13 and verse 15, though God slay me, yet I will trust in him. Now, some Christians are afraid to believe that God can deliver them from anything because they're afraid to deal with the dis disappointment if he chooses not to. Some point to a lack of faith for not being healed or delivered from their certain circumstances. The apostle Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh. He asked God to take from him three times, but God responded and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, Few Christians have the belief that God can and will deliver them while maintaining a submissive spirit if God and his will differs from what we ask him. Now, we're not to look at faith as a rabbit's foot in God, as a genie who is bound to do whatever we want. In fact, Jesus, before he was ready to endure the crucifixion while in the Garden of the Gethsemane, uh, communicated that God's will is not always in line with our will and his humanity, and he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, faith is submitting to the Father's sovereign will, even if his will is different than ours. Now, sometimes we get the idea if we pray enough, or if we give enough, or if we serve enough, or if we go to church enough, our deeds will act as a force field of protection against all bad things. But God's ways and God's will are not always in line with what we want. And we must be willing, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to submit to God's will, whatever that might be. Now, here in our text, we understand that God did choose to deliver them. In fact, in verse 19, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was incensed that these three Hebrews didn't bow, so he commanded that the furnace be made seven times hotter than it was. He got the strongest men in the kingdom, verse 20, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning fiery furnace. Now these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace with their coats on, with their socks on, with their hats on, and most likely multiple layers of clothing. And the men who ended up throwing them into the furnace, they lost their lives because the fire was that hot. Now then picture this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar is shocked because they stand up in the furnace, they start walking, and they are unharmed. Then Nebuchadnezzar sees not only three men, but he sees four walking in the fire, and the fourth has the appearance of the Son of God. Now, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted and submitted to God's sovereign will, we understand that God didn't let them bas bypass the fire and the test of faith, but he was with them in the midst of the fire. Did you get that? God didn't let them bypass the fire, but while they were in the fire, God was with them all along the way. 
And I want you to understand, God promises to do the same for us. In fact, Jesus said before he ascended up into heaven, he wanted to assure his disciples as they were uneasy about his departure when he was going to ascend into heaven. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, the test of faith you are going through right now, the test of faith that you have gone through, or the test of faith that you might go through might be exactly what God wants in your life to build your faith. That doesn't mean we shouldn't seek counsel. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask God for wisdom. That doesn't mean we don't need medicine for the body or sometimes for the mind. Because as the body gets sick, so does the mind. But our first reaction to the fires of faith should not be to ask God to remove the problems, to remove the circumstances, to remove the difficulties at all costs. Because those fires may be the thing that ultimately help us to grow and mature in our Christianity. We need to remember as believers that God never leaves us when the problems come. We need to remember that he's with us and desires to be with us in the midst of them, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as they submitted to God's sovereignty and will, God chose to deliver them. Notice the text, verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come forth. And they came forth from the midst of the fire, and all the dignitaries who were there were gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies uh, the, the fire had no power over, nor was there a hair of their head singed. Can you imagine? Not one hair on their head was even singed. I cook eggs in the morning, and I singe my hair. <laughs> but not a hair of their head was singed. And, and here's another thing. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Not even one bit. Then notice the next words that come out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has delivered them as they yielded their bodies, that they might not serve or worship any god except their own god. And then verse 29, I make a decree that every people and nation and language that speak amiss of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces... Anybody that speaks against their God is going to be cut up in pieces and their house is going to be made a poop pile. That's literally what it says, a dunghill. <laughs> so as we trust God in the fires of faith, as we surrender to his will over our own, I want you to understand God is always glorified. When I was pastoring in California, I was knocking doors in a neighborhood I had never been in to introduce myself as a, a pastor then in that community and in that area. And I was making my way through the neighborhood probably about 11.30 or so, about lunchtime. And, you know, it's a catch-22. When's the best time to try to meet people? Sometimes people would say in the evenings, but a lot of people work in the evenings. And uh, mornings, obviously, before 9 o'clock is not a good time, right? You know, and, and so you don't want to do that. So I was knocking on doors trying to meet people. And I knocked on the door of a man by the name of Roy. Roy had just come home to get uh, some food, uh, to get a change of clothes for himself. His wife was in the hospital. She was in the ICU unit. And uh, she was taken there because her esophagus became detached from her stomach. And everything in her stomach, all of those fluids and acids, were dumping into her thoracic, her, her cavity there, her stomach cavity. And, and she went into shock and had all kinds of infection. And she was on her deathbed. 
And so here I'm knocking on doors and Roy tells me this story. And I said, Roy, can I pray with you right now? And he said, man, I'd be happy for you to pray with me. And so I prayed with him. I said, Roy, what hospital is your wife in? He said, San Antonio Community Hospital in Upland. I said, I know exactly where, where that's at. I can get in the, uh, the IC unit, no problem. You just tell me the room number and I'll be there. I'll be there in the next couple of hours. Is, is your wife, is your family gonna be there? And he said, yes. And he said, they don't expect her to live through the night. And so I went to the hospital, I found Roy, I found his son, uh, uh, his, a couple of sons there and, and his daughter-in-law and, and his daughter. And, uh, and I, I, I prayed and I said, listen guys, I want you to understand, I don't understand everything that's going on here. I'm not a, a doctor, I'm not uh, in the medical field. I understand that it, this is not good. And I understand that the doctors really aren't giving you any hope and they're basically telling you to prepare her affairs because she's not gonna last through the night. But here's, let's pray this. I said, let's pray that God's will be done first of all. And if God allows it in his will that somehow Gloria is able to make it through this, that you would use this as a testimony to tell everybody of God's glory and tell everybody of how good God is. And so we prayed and the next day I got a phone call and he said, Pastor, through the night my wife got better. And he said, she's going to be coming home tomorrow. They were able to seal everything up and shore everything up. And, and, and for the next five years of her life, she had five more years of her life. She had to eat through a tube the whole time, but she made it. And every time they had an opportunity and people would ask, why, why do you have to eat through a tube? What, what's going on? They would tell them how that God had delivered her and answered this prayer in this way. Now that's not always God's will. Sometimes he allows deliverance like he did in, the, in the, the realm of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the realm as he did of Gloria. But as we trust God in the fires of faith and surrender to his will over our own, God is always glorified regardless of the outcome. Now Nebuchadnezzar here blessed God. Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 30. And he told his nation that anybody that spoke against Yahweh was in trouble. Now, let me ask you this morning, what fires right now are testing your faith? Is it a relationship situation? Is it a work situation? Is it another family situation? Is it a literal faith situation? where you're having questions, you're having doubts, you're wondering if God is real, you're wondering if he's true, you're wondering if he's good. What fires right now are testing your faith? And let me ask you, will we trust God in the fires of faith? Will we surrender to his will over our own? Will we allow God to be glorified? Brian Chappell tells the story of a Christian miner who was injured in a mining accident as a young age and became an invalid and spent his time watching through a window from his bed as life passed him by. He watched as men his own age prospered and raised families and had grandchildren. He watched his own body wither, his own house crumble, and his life seemingly waste away. 
One day when the bedridden miner was quite old, a younger man came to visit. The younger man said, I, I hear that you believe in God and claim that he loves you. How can you believe in such things after all that has happened to you? Don't you doubt God's love? The old man hesitated and smiled. He said, yes, it's true. Sometimes Satan comes calling on me in this fallen down house of mine. He sits right there in my bed, right, right where you're sitting right now, and he points out my window to the men I once worked with, and uh, they're strong and active, and, and, and he asks, does Jesus really love you? Then Satan cast a glaring glance around my tattered room as he points to the fine homes of my friends across the street and asks, does Jesus really love you? Then at last, Satan points to a grandchild of a friend of mine, a man who has everything I do not, and Satan waits for the tear in my eye before he whispers, does Jesus really love you? And what do you say when Satan speaks to you in this way, the young man asked? The old miner said, I take Satan by the hand. I lead him in my mind to a hill far away called Calvary. And there I point to the tortured brow, the nail-pierced hands and feet, and to the spear-wounded side, and I say, Satan, you tell me Jesus doesn't love me. You see, Calvary is the measure of the Savior's love for us. And the cross is the warrant for the confidence in God's life, despite the heartache we might face, the fires we might face. And when our focus remains on Jesus, when our focus remains on the cross, our faith will not waver through the fires and the challenges of life.